This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by the official Star Trek Starships collection. Get the Enterprise D for only $4.95 when you sign up today at st-starships.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 210, Cause and Effect. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we examine all the little details in an episode of Star Trek to see what stands up and what are the important morals, meanings, and messages. This week, cause and effect. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we... Wait, no, we, we cannot do this again. We have to do this again. That's the bit. We do it again no, and again. No, no, but yeah, but we can't we can't do that again. <laughs> but it's the bit. No, I, I know, but, I, but but no, but see, we literally did that same joke already on another episode of Mission Log. Yeah, and some of our listeners freaked out. So. Let's do it again. I'm, I'm so with you. I'm, I, I swear, I'm so with you. But why don't we just remind people that uh, this is the one where the Enterprise blowed up real good. And uh, let's see, and then it blowed up real good again and again and again. So we've already moved on to the movies? <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> we got to skip a, a yeah. big, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, in a moment, John's got trivia for this episode, cause and effect. But first, a few words about a bunch of starships. I don't want to talk about ships this week, Ken. Nope, I'm not going to do it. I want to talk about the stands. So remember how your Star Wars action figures had little holes in their feet and you'd put them on pegs to make them stand up? Ah, yes. It's a time-honored way to uh, make toys stand up. But it's not the Eagle Moss way. So there's no peg hole in the Enterprise, so there's no peg hole in their models either. Uh, So they've worked hard to make models that don't need peg holes for the stands, even though that would be way easier. That is a dedication to authenticity you don't always get. Plus the ships. Yeah, well, those two very cool ships. All right, so here's how it works. You get two ships a month with their stands uh, flying in from every corner of the Star Trek universe. You get a magazine filled with production notes, design notes, and in-universe info about the ship. They get a digital download of the magazine so you can keep the magazine uh, as close to new as possible. And you get all of that for $20 per ship. That's two ships a month, two magazines a month, two digital magazines a month. 40 bucks a month. And I know you didn't want to talk too much about the ships. They look amazing. <laughs> they, they, they do. Yeah. They're amazing ships, and they're ships with no holes in them. So <laughs> well, they're perfect from every angle. Unless the holes are there in-universe. That's true. Yeah. That's true. All right. You get all that, plus you get extra surprises the longer you stay subscribed. And you can start your subscription at the crazy low price of four ninety five. Get the Enterprise 1701D, as seen on TV. Get the Enterprise D and its accompanying magazine for four ninety five to try it out. The address to do that is st-starships.com slash mission log. st-starships.com slash mission log. Trying it out at that address not only supports this show, 
it makes you commander of your very own set of ships. And remember, we're fans of theirs, and they are fans of ours. That address, again, is st-starships.com slash mission log. And a big thanks once again to Eagle Moss for supporting Mission Log. Mission Log, Mission Log, Mission Log, Mission Log. Sorry. <laughs> we say it a lot. Like, I'm going to say now how people can get in touch with us. So great. You know, get ready. Great. I'm going to say it a few more times. Mission Log Pod, actually, is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of this show. Maybe even today. <laughs> we, we, I, I guess maybe. I don't know. Hey, it's trivia time. Cool. All right. Cause and Effect was written by Brannon Braga. Uh, this episode was kind of Brannon's baby. He loves time travel stories, and he wanted to give that concept a twist. Therefore, we have the repeating time loop. Now, it was directed by Jonathan Frakes. Hey, we've heard of him. We now know that Jonathan cut his teeth directing on TNG, and this one was quite a challenge. Uh, so they employed a couple of techniques to keep things moving on this one. Most importantly, they did multi-camera takes of some scenes in order to not reshoot what was then going to be repeated later in the episode. And he would also change up the scene, shooting from different angles to keep it different each time. We get to see that throughout kind of the progression of the repeated scenes. Now, we have a cool model of the main hangar bay for the Enterprise. This was a model used only one time. Very detailed, uh, just under five feet wide and four feet deep. There was actually uh, a total of six shuttle models that were built for the scene. But the two we actually see, and you can't really tell because a shot is kind of dark, but the two that we see are the Pillar and the Berman. Now, you also had multiple models of the Enterprise built for the destruction sequences. Uh, those were all kind of low-detail models, and they were all hung from the ceiling and shot with a high-speed camera underneath, as we have mentioned before. And you have a highly detailed model of the starboard nacelle, which takes a hit from the Bozeman. Yes, I said Bozeman. The USS Bozeman, get used to that name. It's Brandon Braga's hometown, Bozeman, Montana. And he uses that name, uh, well, the name of the ship later in Star Trek, as well as the location itself. And the registry is NCC 1941, which is a reference, well, not to somebody's birth date, but to the movie 1941. Now, the Bozeman is totally not a Miranda-class starship like the Reliant. I know you would absolutely think that it is, uh, but it's totally not. It is a Soyuz-class ship. Okay, well, uh, the production originally wanted a Constitution-class ship to come through, but they couldn't afford a new model and new sets, etc., so this was a good compromise. The Reliant model was redressed to make it look a little different, and the movie sets were redressed to work as the Bozeman Bridge. Now, I said Soyuz. What is a Soyuz, you might ask, and I'm glad you asked, because the Soyuz is a Soviet-designed spacecraft that debuted in 1967. It is a three-part ship, a service module, a command-slash-mission module, and a separate re-entry module. It is still in use today, making it the longest-serving, most efficient, and safest method of space travel yet developed. 
There is one docked right now on the International Space Station as an escape module, and astronauts from all over the world are routinely ferried to the ISS in a Soyuz ship. We should say really quickly that is as we record this, there's one docked there right now. That's true. That's right. It may change tomorrow. It, well, it, it probably, depending on when you listen to this, it yes. could be tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Or it could be five years ago. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. Can I ask a question really quickly? Yeah, sure. Why uh, is it a reference to the movie 1941? Uh, because Brandon is a fan of 1941. That's it? That's it. Because, you know, that title was a reference to a particular time in American history. <laughs> yes, it well, was. Well, in world history, yes. actually. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. But yeah. it's not no, about it, it that. It's specifically a reference to the movie. It's about the comedy movie about the start of World War II, or the U.S. Mm-hmm. involvement in World War II. Yep. Hilarious. <laughs> that is... The movie. The movie, I mean. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, we have a discovered doc this week specific to this episode. Um, it is a contact sheet of reference photos taken on set. Now, it's one sheet, but I'm going to divide it up so you can see it better. The first set will be Captain Bateson, and the rest are shots of the poker game. So keep an eye out for that showing up at missionlogpodcast.com. Now, let's talk about guest stars. Frazier. Kelsey Grammer guest stars as Captain Bateson. Now, of course, Grammer is well known for playing Dr. Fraser Crane on Cheers and later on the spinoff series Fraser, a role he inhabited for 20 years. He started on Cheers when he was just 29 years old. And prior to that, he had a handful of TV guest roles from soap operas to the Kennedy miniseries. He was Beast in X-Men Last Stand, which means he actually got to work on screen with Patrick Stewart that time around, not to mention a brief bit in Days of Future Past. He's also extremely well-known as a voice talent. He's been heard in Toy Story 2, Gary the Rat, and of course, he is the voice of Sideshow Bob on The Simpsons. He is also a huge Star Trek fan. That's why he's here this week, and, well, conveniently, Cheers was filming on the same lot. Now, the production actually tried to work in one more guest star, Kirstie Alley, who was Kelsey Grammer's co-star on Cheers, and, of course, she was Lieutenant Savick in The Wrath of Khan. The timing is right. The USS Bozeman was lost in 2278, so a few years before the events of that movie. Unfortunately, an agreement could not be reached with Allie's schedule. Plus, you'd have to figure out a way to get her back to the 23rd century with no knowledge of a 24th century enterprise. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 210, Cause and Effect. We now join our regularly scheduled program already in progress. The Enterprise is shimmying and shaking. Dr. Crusher says there are casualty reports coming in from all over the ship. Data says the starboard nacelle has sustained a direct impact. Geordi will try to shut down the warp core. Riker orders all hands to emergency escape pods. The Enterprise goes spinning. Data says the core shutdown was unsuccessful. Geordi says they have to eject the core, but Data says that won't work either. Captain Picard orders all hands to abandon ship, though it's hard to imagine many made it away. The Enterprise explodes as we head to opening credits. Act 1. The Enterprise has entered an area of space known as the Typhon Expanse. It's the first Federation ship to explore this region. There's apparently not a lot to do there, though. Data, Riker, Worf, and Crusher are passing the time with a little poker. And the stakes are high in the hand we watch. Too rich for Data's blood. There was no help for the Klingon. Only Crusher and Riker stay in, with the chips piling up. 
In the end, Crusher calls what turns out to have been Riker's bluff. And that, Geordi, is how you get to see what somebody has in their hand. Speaking of Geordi, he's in sickbay, and he needs Dr. Crusher's help. He had a dizzy spell earlier, nearly fell off a catwalk down to the bottom of the warp core. Crusher says it looks like an ear infection, except for the part where it doesn't. She can find no evidence of an infection. She figures he's exhausted. He needs to relax. And she'll shoot him up with something to stop his dizziness. And hey, have you had these symptoms before? Geordi says no. Though Crusher could swear that they've talked about these symptoms and that she's given him the hypospray to stop the dizziness. Still, he says it's never happened. In her quarters, Crusher is tending a plant, enjoying a nightcap, singing. Then it's lights out. Until she hears something. Voices. Hard to make out. Growing louder. She turns on her cabin lights, knocking over her glass in the process. Next day in a conference room, Geordi, Troy, Data, Crusher, Riker, and Picard are talking over the best ways to chart the Typhon Expanse. Geordi and Data want to tech the tech. Picard wants them to make it so. And Crusher has an announcement. She's hearing voices. Well, heard voices in her room last night. She figured she was imagining things, except this morning, ten other people reported hearing voices at the same time she did. The meeting is interrupted by a call from Worf. They're getting unusual readings 20,000 kilometers off the starboard bow. Approaching it, Worf identifies it as a highly localized distortion of the space-time continuum. Picard orders Ensign Road to back them off, nice and slow. But she can't. Maneuvering thrusters are not responding. The distortion field is fluctuating. All main systems go down. Data detects a power buildup in the distortion, and through it comes a ship, shaped like the USS Reliant, and headed straight for the Enterprise. Shields won't work. The helm's not responding. The Enterprise is about to be hit. Impact in 36 seconds. Picard calls for suggestions. Riker suggests decompressing the main shuttle bay. That should push the Enterprise out of the way. Data suggests using the ship's tractor beam to alter the other ship's trajectory. Picard goes with Data's plan, but it only alters the other ship's course a little bit. The Enterprise is shimmying and shaking. Dr. Crusher says there are casualty reports coming in from all over the ship. Data says the starboard in the cell has sustained a direct impact. Geordi will try to shut down the warp core. Riker orders all hands to emergency escape pods. The Enterprise goes spinning. Data says the core shutdown was unsuccessful. Geordi says they have to eject the core, but Data says that won't work either. Captain Picard orders all hands to abandon ship, though it's hard to imagine many made it away. The Enterprise explodes. Act 2. Oh, nope, wait, Act 1. Huh? The Enterprise has entered an area of space known as the Typhon Expanse. It's the first Federation ship to explore this region. There's apparently not a lot to do there, though. Data, Riker, Worf, and Crusher are passing the time with a little poker. And the stakes are... familiar. Riker knows that Crusher's going to call his bluff, so he folds. And just as well, Crusher's got a call from sickbay. Geordi's there, and he needs Dr. Crusher's help. He had a dizzy spell earlier, nearly fell off a catwalk down to the bottom of the warp core. Crusher says it looks like an ear infection, except for the part where it doesn't. She can find no evidence of an infection, and have we done this before? Geordi thinks maybe. He can't remember when, but he's pretty sure they've dealt with these symptoms before. Crusher can find nothing about it in the medical logs, but she knows they've had this discussion, and she's treated him for this before. In her quarters, Crusher is tending a plant, enjoying a nightcap, singing, and this seems really familiar, too. Lights out until she hears something. Voices, hard to make out, growing louder. She turns on her cabin lights, knocking over her glass in the process. This time, she calls the captain. 
She tells him about the voices and the feeling that all of this has happened before. Picard says he sort of got that feeling that he'd read the book that he was reading earlier before, but he figured maybe he had actually read the book before. Picard suggests having Geordi and Data run a shipwide diagnostic focused on when she heard the voices. They'll talk it over at tomorrow's meeting, 0700. Next day, in a conference room, Geordi and Data say sensors showed nothing tied to Crusher's voices, but they weren't just her voices. Ten other people heard voices at the same time as well. The meeting is interrupted by a call from Worf. They're getting unusual readings 20,000 kilometers off the starboard bow. Approaching it, Worf identifies it as a highly localized distortion of the space-time continuum. Picard orders Ensign Rowe to back them off, nice and slow. But she can't. Maneuvering thrusters are not responding. The distortion field is fluctuating. All main systems go down. Data detects a power buildup in the distortion, and through it comes a ship that looks just like the USS Reliant and headed straight for the Enterprise. Shields won't work. The helm's not responding. The Enterprise is about to be hit. Impact in 36 seconds. Picard calls for suggestions. Riker suggests decompressing the main shuttle bay. That should push the Enterprise out of the way. Data suggests using the ship's tractor beam to alter the other ship's trajectory. Picard goes with Data's plan, but it only alters the other ship's course a little bit. The Enterprise is shimmying and shaking. Dr. Crusher says there are casualty reports coming in from all over the ship. Data says the starboard nacelle has sustained a direct impact. Geordi will try to shut down the warp core. Riker orders all hands to emergency escape pods. The Enterprise goes spinning. Data says the core shutdown was unsuccessful. Geordi says they have to eject the core, but Data says that won't work either. Captain Picard orders all hands to abandon ship, though it's hard to imagine many made it away. The Enterprise explodes. Act 2... Oh... Act 1. The Enterprise has entered an area of space known as the Typhon Expanse. It's the first Federation ship to explore this region. There's apparently not a lot to do there. Data, Riker, Worf, and Crusher are passing the time with a little poker. And the stakes are really, really familiar. Everyone feels like they've done this before. Not just played poker, played this hand. To prove it, Crusher tells Data what cards he's going to deal as he deals them. Crusher calls sickbay. Is Geordi there? Well, he wasn't when she called, but he just walked in. In sickbay, Crusher is examining Geordi, and she asks Picard to join them. Are you getting the feeling that stuff just keeps happening over and over and over again? Yeah, me too. And a lot of other people on the ship are getting the same feeling. Like, she knew Geordi was coming to sickbay with symptoms of an ear infection. She also knew there was no point in looking into that, since she knew she would find no ear infection. She decided to run an optical diagnostic instead. His dizziness is being caused by a phase shift. He's seeing sort of blurry after-images in his visor. Could be something in the warp core. Could be something in subspace. Geordi will look into it. In her quarters, Crusher is antsy. She starts to tend to plant, but creepy, done it before. She starts to enjoy a nightcap, but creepy, done it before. Lights out until she hears the voices. This time she records them and calls Geordi. He says sensors just picked up something as well. Crusher heads to engineering, knocking over her glass as she goes. In engineering, they're analyzing the recording of the voices. Data says there are about 1,000 voices overlapping, and they are the voices of the crew of the Enterprise. Act what? Oh, Act 2. Now we're getting somewhere. This is not the 0700 meeting. Crusher says they couldn't wait that long. Geordi thinks the Enterprise is caught in a time loop. They don't just feel like they're reliving past events. They are. And they don't know how long they've been doing it. Now the bad news. I know, right? Now the bad news. 
The voices include Captain Picard calling for all hands to abandon ship. Thus begins the guessing and second guessing around what to do next. Do what feels right? But what if that's what got them killed last time? Or what if it was the second guessing that got them killed? That's about as much of that as Picard can take. They'll move forward until they see a reason to do otherwise. But let's try to spot that reason. Jordy has another point. When the loop starts again, they're going to forget everything they figured out this time through. He'd like to send a message back through the loop. Like how to avoid the live, die, repeat cycle. They've been picking up echoes, so Data says they may be able to send a deliberate echo into the next loop. Modulated properly, his positronic who's-it should be able to pick it up. But the message will be short. Like, one word, maybe. Whether his past self will know what it means remains to be seen. Geordi, Crusher, and Data work on the emitter they'll use to leave the message. Geordi says it's possible they've tried this a thousand times before, though none of them remember ever having done this. So... Maybe that's a good sign. The work is interrupted by a call for senior officers to head to the bridge. On screen, hey, what do you know? A highly localized distortion of the space-time continuum. Picard orders Ensign Rowe to back them off, nice and slow, but she can't. Maneuvering thrusters are not responding, and you know where this is going, don't you? Reliant-type ship headed straight for the Enterprise, shields down, helms out, the Enterprise is about to be hit. Picard calls for suggestions. Riker suggests decompressing the main shuttle bay. Data suggests using the ship's tractor beam to alter the other ship's trajectory. Picard goes with Data's plan, but it only alters the other ship's course a little bit. This seems to give Data an idea. He punches something into the emitter right before the Enterprise explodes. Act 3. Nope. Act 1. The Enterprise has entered an area of space known as the Tycan Expanse. It's the first Federation ship to explore this region. There's apparently not a lot to do there, though. Data, Riker, Worf, and Crusher are passing the time with a little poker. And the stakes are familiar, but different. Data deals the cards, and they're all threes. And they're followed by each player being dealt three of a kind. Call from sick bay. Geordi's there, and he needs Dr. Crusher's help. He had a dizzy spell earlier, nearly fell off a catwalk into the thing. Crusher says it looks like an ear infection, except for the part where it doesn't. She can find no evidence of an infection, and have we done this before? Jordy thinks maybe. He can't remember when, but he's pretty sure they've dealt with these symptoms before. Crusher can find nothing about it in the medical logs, but she knows they've had this discussion, and she's treated him for this before. They go to run an optical diagnostic, and what do you know? A small phase shift. In his ready room, Picard is getting the weird feeling that he's read this book before, so leaving it for sick bay is no big deal. Phase shift, warp core, subspace something or other. Geordi's off to engineering. He asked Data to run a diagnostic on something, and it comes up threes. Data says he's been getting a lot of that. Threes all over the place. They get a call from Crusher. She just heard voices in her quarters. Geordi says sensors just picked up something as well. Crusher heads to engineering, but over the comms, they hear the sound of a glass breaking in her room. They've analyzed the recording, including the part where Captain Picard calls for all hands to abandon ship. Thus begins the guessing and second-guessing around what to do next. Do what feels right? But what if that's what got them killed last time? Or was it the second-guessing that got them killed? That's about as much of that as Picard can take. They'll move forward until they see a reason to do otherwise. But let's try to spot that reason. Geordi has another point. They're seeing the number three all over the place. Maybe they sent a message to themselves from a previous loop. 
But what does three mean? The meeting is interrupted by a call from Ensign Rowe. They're getting unusual readings 20,000 kilometers off the starboard bow. You know what this is, and what's up next. All goes as it always does, all the way to Riker suggesting decompressing the main shuttle bay. That should push the Enterprise out of the way. Data suggests using the ship's tractor beam to alter the other ship's trajectory. Picard goes with Data's plan, but Data realizes that that won't work. Data glances at Riker, sees the three pips on his collar, and puts two and two together. Or really puts all the threes together. The message he'd sent himself was to go with Riker's plan. He decompresses the main shuttle bay, pushing the Enterprise out of the way just in time and breaking the temporal loop. Seventeen days. A check of a Federation time base beacon tells them that that's how long they've been looping. Meanwhile, the Reliant-shaped vessel is hailing them. It's the USS Bozeman. Captain Morgan Bateson offers his assistance, though Picard was about to do the same. It becomes pretty obvious pretty quickly that the Bozeman has no idea that it's been caught in the temporal loop for decades. Picard suggests Bateson beam over. They have much to discuss. Which we'll get to in Act... Oh, nope, the end. (laughs) Nice. Um, I'm going to make a suggestion here kind of early on. (laughs) Go ahead. Uh, You know, we've had at least a couple hundred years of starships by this time. Yeah. And they could really use some new design work on the Enterprise, especially if something like 95% of it can be run automatically. Yes. I'm going to say that if you're in a position where shields don't work and thrusters don't work and engines don't work and you get hit by something right in the nacelle, that nacelle should just fall off. There should just be a thing like an exploding bolt. Remember how excited I was over that exploding hatch uh, on the shuttle that we saw not that long ago? Yes. That was really thrilling to me. Yeah. That was really exciting to me. I think that you ought to have a breakaway nacelle strut so it just goes where they're like, oh, we got hit in the nacelle. Okay, it's going to fall off. So we're still okay in here until we can figure out what to do with only one nacelle. Hmm. Yeah, no, I don't like it. There's something about it I don't like. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm thinking safety. I can't say what it safety. is exactly, but there's something about it that just, I think it's, it would be too easy to then, then it becomes a thing, right? Oh, I know. And then, then we lose uh, dramatic possibilities to stories like this. Well, we lose dramatic possibilities, but then also it's just like, oh man, somebody just, uh, just chopped off our nacelles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Or made them eject. Some kid, let's say you have that thing, right, where the whole crew ends up feeling like they're drunk, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah, that And then happen. that's, yeah. you're just like one button push away from, you know, ice cream before every meal and, <laughs> and no more nacelles. <laughs> right. Well, see, I'm thinking the Enterprise computer has got to have a say. And the Enterprise computer has got to think ahead a little bit and realize like, okay, well, if that thing explodes and then that creates a chain reaction here, and then before we get to the point where we can't even adjust the warp core, then we'll do something about it. Mm. Just have a little bit of a safety protocol built in. Well, here's the other problem, though. I mean, they had a bunch of safety protocols and they all didn't work. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, they had yep, shields. Yep. Shields didn't work. Okay, right. well, shut down the warp core. Well, we can't shut down the warp core. Okay, well, eject it. Well, we can't do that either. So I'm curious what makes you think then that, you know, ejecting the cell would have helped. Just one more thing. Just one because <laughs> that, that's the thing that got hit. So just one, right. more, one right. more safety. All it's right. a thing to learn going forward. You know, an engineer right. somewhere should be like, huh, maybe we can come up with a way that uh, a fatal hit to an cell wouldn't take out the entire ship. 
you know. Yeah, I, we're getting far too caught on this, but I'm going to continue. What you're saying basically is, uh, so I want a way that I could just, you know, pop the engine out of my car. Yeah, yeah, because okay, you no. might need to do that at some point. No, you see, that takes that takes time, <laughs> that takes tools, that takes chains. What I don't want to do is like go 50 miles an hour down the road, hit a bump, and there goes my engine. No, that would be bad. Yeah. Hey, uh, I'm going to tip my hand a little bit here and, and right. just say that, that right off the bat, there, there's something here that I think is good storytelling, and that is to start with the worst possible scenario. Like, it's kind of a – and maybe it's not great storytelling, but it is a great kind of storytelling exercise to say, to, to say okay, what's the worst possible thing that could happen? It's this. Now let's work our way out of it and kind of build the story backwards in that respect. Um, and I do know that there is more Star Trek to come where they kind of did that as the exercise of how to develop the episode. Um, but I think this is a, a cool place to do it. It's, uh, it. It works for drama in that well, respect. We're a tiny bit jaded now by the Enterprise exploding this many years later because, I mean, I joked mm-hmm. earlier, like when you said this is the one where the Enterprise explodes, and I said, oh, then we're in the movies. Because in the You're movies, right. they'll, they'll right. blow up the Enterprise. They're not even thinking about it, it seems. Sure, sure. When this actually was broadcast, though, we had only seen the Enterprise blow up once before, and it was the 1701A, and yeah. that was in Star Trek Three. I mean, it's easy now to be jaded about the Enterprise exploding. We that we'd we'd never actually seen, and we had definitely never seen Picard's Enterprise blow up. Yeah. Well, and, and hey, by the way, sadly, it, it was the N seven O NCC one seven O one. It was the refit, not not even the A that got blown. It was the original oh, Enterprise right. that, that was refit. Then you got the A. Oh, and and right. I'm hoping that somewhere out there the A is is just in mothballs that it a. still looks all right. Yeah, yeah no, right? it's 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 yeah. you know dry docked on some planet so that kids can go and have their picture taken in front of it. No, I want to go to that planet. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure right. that's true. Yeah. They run like a, a, a cadet school, and I may mm-hmm. be referencing something that's actually happening now. I can't remember. Right. <laughs> really fast. I mean, we have talked before about, okay, so like if this had begun with Picard dying, we'd be like, okay, yeah. well, how's Picard going to live? I mean, and, and, and that would be true of any of the main characters. But yeah. we've never seen the Enterprise blow up before. I found it a particularly riveting um, mm-hmm. prologue. Or yeah. a particularly uh, um, riveting teaser, because like you say, not only you're thrown in the middle of the action, but it doesn't end with you know them getting out of it, which we always think we know they're going to do. Because holy crud, the Enterprise just exploded! <laughs> right, right, right. Well, and then they do it over and over again, and that's kind of the gimmick here. And yes, we we got more than a few comments from listeners who watched this show mm-hmm. on its original airing, and they were confused. Yeah. They they thought that they were watching the same footage over and over again. It, you know, the, the local station might have been replaying the wrong part of the tape. <laughs> you know? That's but, but we got one. But to your point, we, we got a great email from Mark Cole. And he said, I'll just read the whole thing. It's really short. He said, um, in grad school, a bunch of people from my department would meet up each week to watch the new episode of TNG, as you might expect from a bunch of folks studying popular culture, both the smart and snark level was high. A lot of people who had seen and read a lot of science fiction. So cause and effect starts and we get, as we would later learn, the first of a ship-threatening crisis. And being the wise guy I am, I said, well, it's not like they're going to blow up the ship. And then the ship blew up. 
before the credits. Howls of laughter in the room. Well, this episode, along with the great cameo, is one of my favorite Trek episodes. Thank you for that, Mark. And yeah, I, I think that's hilarious because he did what we do and what honestly what so many Star Trek fans do is you're playing the home game. You know, you're watching the episode and you go, oh, okay, well, they're not going to do this because in 47 minutes they would have to resolve that. Oh, oh, okay, they did it. Yeah. <laughs> they blew up the Enterprise. So I, good on them. Really quickly, I have to correct myself. Did we not see the Enterprise actually blow up and cause an effect as well? Not cause an effect, um, Times Squared. Oh, yeah. In, uh, oh, you're right. Yeah, Times Squared. Yeah, and, and we, yeah, we've seen another Galaxy-class ship blow up as well. But uh, yeah. yeah, well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah because forget they're, those, they're a dime a dozen. Yeah, yeah who get yeah. the Yamato, right? Doesn't the Yamato blow up like every other episode? Yeah, because who cares? Yeah. <laughs> is it Galaxy <laughs> yeah. Class, though, or is it one of the Excelsior ships? I can't remember. It's yeah, Galaxy no, it was, Class. It was Galaxy. Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. 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 Um, let's talk about that poker game. Guess okay. who's not there? Jordy. <laughs> <laughs> True, although I begin to think that this poker game just shouldn't happen. Yeah. At all. Yeah, because okay. Jordy, Jordy cheats. As mm-hmm. we, you know, have, as we right. discussed, as we know mm-hmm. Riker is actually the commanding officer for all these people. Oh, so yeah. I'm, I'm wondering how many times yeah. his bluffs actually do work. Because I, I was thinking about it, the only person at that table who can readily relieve him of command or relieve him of duty is mm-hmm. Beverly. She can just put him on medical leave without even thinking, right? Oh, so right. she yeah. can stand against him. Yeah, at the table, uh, Troy can read feelings. She wasn't there this week. Uh, but, you know, Troy can read feelings, so she would know if somebody's lying or nervous about their hand or whatever, so she shouldn't be allowed to play. Mm-hmm. And Data can stack the deck. He assures sure Worf that, oh, no, 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 these cards aren't stacked, this deck isn't stacked, but then when he has to send himself a message, totally stacks the deck. Does it right. without even thinking. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just saying. Wow, Commander Riker, you won again. What were the odds? Yeah. <laughs> right. I could tell you, but then you would know. Well, it's kind of cool that since we see that game over and over, I, I actually I, I liked the process of picking up the very subtle differences. Actually, you know what? I just thought of a cool idea. It would be nice on Blu-ray if you could rearrange the scenes and just watch those scenes back to back, the related scenes. So you have the poker scene, you have the sickbay scene, you have Beverly in her quarters, just to see the different shots the different angles the different moments i mean some of them stray much more the later in the show that you get but earlier on they're very close which is kind of cool to watch um but the later you get you know they shouldn't necessarily be showing fatigue but they do at some point which is kind of the biggest tell to the audience and it's kind of fun to watch a lot of that happen watch the character changes as the scene changes as well did you ever read the uh, Kurt Vonnegut novel, Time Quake? I know. No, I haven't. I, I want to say it was his last novel. I'm not 100% certain about hmm. that, but I want to say it was. Um, I don't remember how it ends, so I don't think I'm going to spoil it for anybody. But it basically starts, I can't remember even why it happened, but the world is caught in a temporal loop hmm. and has been for the last 10 years. So like something oh. happened, something happened, and then it, suddenly it was 10 years ago. But the thing is, everybody knows, but they can't do anything differently. Mm-hmm. So they're having to go through all of the same stuff again. And the malaise sets in over the planet. And of course, then, I mean, the reason it's called time quake is because then they suddenly snap out of it. Mm-hmm. And and not unlike, um, 
the television series Flash Forward. I haven't read the book yet, but not like the television series Flash Forward. After that, you know, 10 years of not doing anything else, suddenly the world is a completely different place. Everybody mm-hmm. assumes, I mean, everybody's basically on autopilot. So literally one of the first things that happens is there are tons of car accidents because nobody was really paying attention because it's all happened before. Right. And so it's all going to happen the way it's going to happen. And so when they suddenly hit the, oh, now we're back into first time time, uh, things go nutty. Good, uh, good mention of Flash Forward produced by Brandon Braga. Oh, and written by our friend Robert J. Sawyer, the novel, yep. not yep. the not the television series. Although he was, yep. a, I think, a consultant on that. Yeah. Wow, we're just so in the know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I got another question about the poker game. As long as we're there, sure, why not? Um, I think we've talked about this before, but it's worth mentioning again today. I think because it was such a big deal and because we saw it so many times. What are the actual stakes? Mm-hmm. There's no money. Yep. It's a post-scarcity society, so what's worth winning? Are they doing chores for each other? Are they doing favors for each other? I mean, I guess what I don't understand is why no, why would anybody ever, like, oh, too rich for me, <laughs> Data says. <laughs> too rich for my blood. Really? Because you can't get more plastic chips? There are replicators every 10 feet. And, you know, you could probably just <laughs> borrow some because it's not like you have to pay them back because they are plastic chips. Right. There's one other thing, by the way, before we move off the poker game. Um no help for the Klingon was a phrase. <laughs> I, I, until I saw it again, I was like, wow, my friends and I used to say that to each other all the time. It wasn't no, even no, about no, poker. Yeah. yeah. Just whatever. If anything was supposed to be something for somebody, like right. go to check the mail. Oh, no help for the Klingon. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I like how you, uh, how you work that in. I, I, look, I, I still feel like even in the 24th century, there are bragging rights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even in the 24th century, there is a feeling of victory, even if it's a game. I guess the, the level of separation. Like, I remember my dad teaching me to play poker. Mm-hmm. And, and we had this little stand that had all the chips in it. And, and even if I was, you know, what, 10 or 12 years old or something, mm-hmm. um, even if we're not playing with money, maybe some, sometimes we played with pennies. We yeah. would do that. But even if we're playing with chips, I knew that the chips were representative of money. Yeah. So I, I suppose even then I could piece together that this would have a value, but you're still playing to win. Yeah, I guess. You know? I mean, even if you're playing shoots and ladders, you, you want to win. I'm just, saying, I'm just saying bluffs don't seem to mean anything at that point. It yeah, doesn't look okay, to me like okay. he can have that straight, but I know I can't beat a straight, even though I don't think he's going to have the straight. I'm going to go ahead and get out because how embarrassing would it be for me if I thought he actually wasn't going to be able to put the straight together? See, yeah. here's how we defeated this when I was a kid. We played for candy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but, but, yeah, but that was the thing. That, yeah, that exactly. Was a tangible that thing, that you know? makes more sense. If they were playing for little chocolate coins, then I'd be like, oh, absolutely. <laughs> See, I just like the idea of thinking of every way in their work lives that all of these players could undermine each other if they felt hurt at the poker game. <laughs> That's why I'm saying Riker probably walks away the winner almost every week. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, and Riker, of course, of course Riker bluffs. Because if anybody in the Enterprise bluffs, it's Riker. It just is. And I think, Ken, this might answer some of the questions you had about his relationship with Carmen and maybe everybody else. It's going to leave that there, okay? All right, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm going to leave it there with you. And, uh, hey, Ken, we have a shout-out to Picard's Aunt Adele. Mm-hmm. We mentioned in Ensign Row, she with the uh, ginger tea recipe. And now she's got a recipe for milk. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. 
Episode 210, Cause and Effect. Hey, Ken, it's Groundhog Day in space. Don't warp angry. And <laughs> this actually, this came out a year before Groundhog Day. Okay. Um, so good good for them. And uh, that's all I got. All right. Well, it came out that's a few. The, it came out a few years after Times Squared, though. It did. Yeah, it did. And, and all the all the kind of second guessing in this, mm-hmm. uh, where where you have well, should I do this? Is that the thing that I did last time? And by not doing that thing that I did last time, am I? Uh, yeah, all of that is kind of like Times Squared, which is cool. Yes, I, I like seeing that. Um, so maybe then that's all I've got. No, no, I've I've got a little bit more. I yeah. guess what I'm trying to say here is that this is an episode where there is a lot of tension, a lot of intrigue, a lot of action. Uh, there's a lot of mystery solving on the part of the crew and the audience. Um, but this is the part of the show where we do our deep dive into the serious stuff. And maybe mm. after having a few weeks of deep dive serious stuff, like, oh, I don't know, the outcast. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> You know, where we ran about a half an hour longer than we normally would on yeah. the podcast. Um, maybe maybe we don't have that burden this week. Yeah, I would say, actually, you say that this is the part where we do our deep dive. And I think there are signs mostly around this episode that say um, no diving in the shallow end. <laughs> right. It's right. not. I mean, it's not that there's yeah. nothing here by any stretch. Well, mm-hmm. by many stretches, by some stretches, mm-hmm. there's stuff here. But yeah, I mean, the outcast uh, conundrum. Um, I can't think of the other ones that we've done over the past few weeks. But we just, I mean, yeah, we just hit like, I mean, it was great. But man, we hit yeah. we hit a lot of depth over the past few weeks. Yeah, and yeah. and today we're on our 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 windsurfer, <laughs> just skimming over the top. Well, there are a couple of cool things. There are a couple of cool psychological ideas that I like here. Um, one is to do with the phenomenon of deja vu. And you, you kind of, you watch this and you're about 20 minutes into it and, and you think, somebody say deja vu. Somebody say deja vu. You do it because <laughs> that's what you're expecting. And then they do, finally. Yep. And then there's a Klingon word for it as well. Yes. And um, there's a really short article. It, it is good as sort of a, a, a primer for understanding it at, at, at uh, the Skeptics Dictionary, which is skeptic, S-K-E-P-D-I-C dot com. And the thing that I found really interesting about this article on Deja Vu was to say, all right, well, the theory is that you experience something. Uh, so you're, you're at home and maybe you smell something or you see something or you're standing in a position or there's a fragment of a conversation. Whatever it is, there's something that triggers a fragment of a memory. And you know that I'm into this stuff because I love the idea of how absolutely horrible we are with memory. Mm-hmm. Um, n- not just when it comes to episode titles, but I mean, <laughs> as a human race, all of us are, are terrible at uh, at memory. Right. So the idea being that something happens and because memory is not like a continuous playback loop on a tape, a neuron gets fired and then you sort of have that feeling, oh, wait, this reminds me of another thing that could have been seconds ago, minutes ago, hours, days, weeks, years ago. And that's what gives you the feeling of deja vu. So that was my first understanding of it. But then the article says, wait a minute that might not actually be what's happening. We might actually have the order of that wrong. 
And what could be happening is that the feeling through a neurochemical exchange, the feeling happens first, and then you associate whatever is happening at that moment with the feeling, which kind of blew my mind because I thought, oh, yeah. So the feeling could actually be there because it's just a thing that naturally happens in the brain. Mm-hmm. And whatever it is that, that is the trigger, whether it's, you know, like I said, a fragment of a conversation or a smell or a, uh, an image that you see, then you are making the connection to say, oh, yeah, uh, because I feel that feeling and it's a weird thing that I can't understand, I am associating that with what I will call a memory. I thought that was very cool. So it's not a really well-known phenomenon. And it's particularly not well-known as to what comes first. So I thought that was kind of neat. Maybe by the 24th century, we will have figured that out. Maybe not. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe by the 24th century, we will have eradicated it. And then all it can be is time travel. Oh, that would be so rad. Or a temporal loop or something (laughs) like that. Temporal loop, Yeah. 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 That would be really cool. And then there's another bit of mind bleepery, mm-hmm. as we sometimes say on this show, that I think is kind of a fun thing to, to consider. It's a fun thing to play with. So the, the idea that there are some actions that we do that will always determine the same outcome. So no matter what, and they really make sure you see this in the show, no matter what, Beverly is going to break that wine glass. And I don't know if it's a space wine glass, but it is a wine glass. So, sure, breaking a glass like that is an accident, but an infinite number of variables have come together at exactly the right time in exactly the right order every time you break a glass yourself, Mm -hmm. almost as if it were determined to do so. You, You could remove one of those variables and you wouldn't have the exact same outcome, or maybe you would have the exact same outcome, because in this, sometimes the glass is in a different position, sometimes her actions are different, sometimes the lights are on, sometimes the lights are off. There are all these things that still lead up to that moment of breaking the glass. I think it's possible that that glass was actually going to save the universe. It could be. It could be. <laughs> or maybe that glass was going to destroy the universe. It was very weird to me that it was the glass because that's the kind of thing that like a lot of times in science fiction or, you know, well, science fiction or fantasy, mm-hmm. I suppose, more science fiction. Um, somebody will die and then somebody will go back in time and try to save that person or somebody will go back in time and run into mm-hmm. that person. Um, and still, no matter what they do to try to stop it from happening, that person will right. still die. It tends to be a fairly important thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's why that's why I think maybe that maybe that wine glass was actually going to destroy the universe. <laughs> I, well, it could be. It, that's the, I, although, I mean, that's the kind of glass that shatters upon hitting carpet from about a one meter drop. Yeah. Then maybe that glass had it coming. See, you joked earlier uh, mm-hmm. off off mic that you thought it was cheap glass. I think it's actually the finest of fine glass. Like, you know, oh, maybe that's uh, like like less than yeah. a micron thick. It's amazing you don't cut yourself every time you drink out of it. <laughs> Yeah, you know, but if you drop it, it's just it's dust. The cool thing is you don't even have to vacuum though, because it's just gone. Yeah, just just powder. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Just yeah, it, it, people like Beverly. Just please drink out of a proper glass. Okay. Get a sippy cup for crying out loud. <laughs> really, all that wine. Yes, doctor. Whatever, whatever that was. Oh please, <laughs> yeah. like like the Federation doctors don't drink. I will uh, exhibit A, uh, Doctor Boyce. Exhibit B, <laughs> Doctor McCoy. And exhibit yeah. C, every other doctor we've seen, except for yeah. uh, except for Doctor Salar. Well, you don't know. She, you know, she might have 
Dr. McCoy's Georgia mint julep recipe somewhere. Really? You think Vulcans are like constantly tying one on? Really? Does that seem logical <laughs> to you? Really? <laughs> Sometimes they just got to let it out. They got to let the feelings out somehow. That's what you don't want. You, you don't want to be at a Vulcan bar at last call after they've had, after Sarah oh, has man. had too much. Spock gets the I love yous. Yeah, right. <laughs> Seriously, Jim, I do. Yeah. I really do. All right, so the, the flip side of this whole thing with the glass, the, the other side of this, which I think is interesting, is what we've talked about before, the butterfly effect, in which seemingly innocuous changes might have huge implications down the road. So what if setting a glass in a different place actually changes the course of your life? What if deciding to take an alternate route to work sets off a chain of events that lead to tragic or maybe amazing, maybe not tragic, consequences. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's why, I I don't know, for whatever reason, I fixated on the glass because it seemed to be the most different. You know, the poker game, they were kind of all going through the same dialogue. But that glass, we kept changing position. (laughs) We kept changing the conditions around it, which I thought was kind of a fun thing, which, again, uh, led me down this path of thinking either way. Well, either we're just determined to break that glass because it's critical to the way this plays out. Or it, it really is what, it, what the, the hinge of this butterfly effect is. And, and like you said, it's a glass that destroys the universe. Yeah, it could be. The, mm. Or it could just be a glass. Could be. Sometimes a glass is just a glass. I couldn't uh, break away from thoughts of Times Squared with this episode. Yeah. That's, and that's honestly about all I have. The thing is, though, we've, we've already talked about the stuff that you could examine in this. Um, I mean, I feel like I'm getting some of the same messages again. You know, the trap of second-guessing oneself, the definition of insanity uh, being doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Mm-hmm. Except in Times Squared, we actually had, like, something in front of us. We had another Picard, right? Mm-hmm. And then we had the recording of the Enterprise blowing up. I mean, here, we've got sort of maybe a ghost story, and then, okay, no, it's not a ghost story, it turns out. We're caught in a temporal loop, probably, but we don't know that for certain, and we have no idea what to do. And and I like that, you know, Picard is still, it's interesting, actually, because Picard was not beset with the whole, what do we do, what do we do thing this time, which he was last time, but last time he had to confront himself. Right, right. And that was very difficult. This right. time he's just got to confront a situation, which is so much easier for Jean-Luc Picard than actually, you know, dealing with, you know, any of his own faults or, or uh, well, any of his own faults, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, to me, was sort of the interesting thing, although it's also kind of daily. <laughs> I get caught in the second guessing thing all the time. Like, should I do this? Should I do that? Should I not do this? Would that be a good idea? What's it'll take me 20 minutes sometimes to have a full conversation (laughs) because I'm thinking and thinking and rethinking and rethinking what it is I'm saying or should say, or what I'm going to say and all that stuff. So, I mean, that to me was, was kind of fascinating. I'm a little sort of like, well, I'm about to get into the next segment, but I guess we should go ahead and get to the next segment And pay no attention to how short this segment was. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 210, Cause and Effect. Welcome into another episode... I can't do that, can I? No, I can't do that. Because this is the last segment, not the first segment, although... 
if this episode taught us anything, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And <laughs> who knows what the heck's going on in the middle. Uh, time to figure out the messages, morals, and meanings of the episode, cause and effect, and decide whether or not the episode or assess whether the episode stands the test of time. I don't know why I lead with the other one first, because we do it in the reverse order. Uh, does the episode hold up as far as you're concerned, Mr. Champion? Well, I'm going to have a lot more to say about that, for sure. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so I, I mentioned earlier in the trivia how difficult an episode like this is to make technically. Mm-hmm. So you've got a lot of, you know, the director really has to do his homework, in this case, Jonathan Frakes. You really have to do your homework to nail down how things are going to be different, but then how the actors will play things differently. And that's all on the director at that point to figure out what will play. And then they've got to coordinate with their camera department to make sure that things are going to look different enough. So th- this is technically a huge challenge, and therefore it you know turns into an episode that is a huge technical achievement. Everybody has to be on their game. Um, every scene has to be the same but different. Um, Artistically, though, you know, one of the things that I love in this episode is the camera work. We've mm-hmm. talked about that before, how much I love Marvin Rush. And um, the camera work changes throughout. Uh, we mentioned about how they would film multi-angle, but then they would also, when they would reshoot scenes, they would shoot them with different angles and different camera positions to capture a different look. Um Later on in the episode, you switch to much more Steadicam and handheld shots. Actually, some of those done with a bungee cord. Um, you switch to that in the middle of the show with Beverly, you know, when, when she's kind of having her last real anxious uh, concern in her quarters and going through those same steps of like the plant and the glass and then leaving the quarters. And a lot of that, the camera's really moving, getting way up close and just kind of bouncing around. It's so cool to look at. Um, you know, as she is building in frustration and anxiety, technically the show is building that frustration and anxiety for the audience. It leads a really creepy edge to everything. So here's the thing, though. This is a great episode on its own. It is such a cool episode on its own. And the gimmick of the exploding ship every act really works. This is a terrible episode to watch again and again if you happen to host a podcast that analyzes Star Trek in detail. A couple of times into it, great. I loved looking for all those little details and clues. Maybe the third time into it, okay, I'm still on board. I'm I'm really impressed with the technical mastery of the show. I still enjoy those details. By the fourth time, I've seen the Enterprise now blow up 16 times. Mm-hmm. So it's a little tough to watch back to back to back to back. Um, you know, but I, I can give it a pass for that because they weren't making it for that reason. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's true. That's um, true. I mean, VCRs no. were around, but chances are you had videotaped all of the next gen. You weren't just videotaping the one episode to watch five times this week. Sure. Or even if you watched it a second time that, yeah. that same week or that same day, you'd just be like, oh, okay, cool. Let's let's pick up on the things that I missed. Right. You know? um, it's interesting that uh, in another version of the story, Riker would have won the poker game with three aces. That would have been the tell at the end. But it was determined to go with something more subtle as the evidence for data 
that, that they would all get, you know, he would deal out threes and then he would deal out three of a kind. Right. And I, to me, the reveal at the end, it kind of took me out of it a little bit. I guess the more and more I watched it, the more I tried to play through the different scenarios in my head, just because the number three could show up randomly. And just because you could sort of say, okay, well, there are all kinds of threes here. Do we have, do we have three cargo bays that we could blow the doors off of? Do we have, does the main shuttle hangar, does it have three doors or two? Are there three shuttles in there? What, what do I do? What do I do? It just happens to be the three pips on Riker's collar that actually tell Data what he should do. Um, but all of that said, and me just sort of going down my own rabbit hole of what are the details that you know, could or maybe would not be in the episode. Who cares? I still love the adventure and the the mind bleepery that we have here. It makes for a lot of fun. How about you? Um, you and I match almost perfectly on all of this stuff. Um, hmm. The one thing that took me out of the episode was the, I'm going to bastardize a term here, the data ex machina. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. oh, yeah. It's, it, it reminds me of what was the one where they had to go down where the guy had split time, the Mannheim effect, I think it was. And, and so there were three Datas there. And, oh, yeah, and yeah, then yeah. Data's like, oh, which one of us is it? And one of the Datas goes, it's me. And the other two are like, oh, well, <laughs> right. then it must be because you said so. Yeah, right. right. I kind of felt like that at the end. That's the only thing that takes me out of it, though. I love the... I mean, I, I I don't enjoy watching the Enterprise blow up every time there's a new movie, but I do enjoy, I mean, it was unexpected to see that. And it was interesting to see it happen again and again and again. It's mm-hmm. great to see somebody show up in the same uniform that Kirk was wearing in Star Trek II. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's, there's fun stuff all throughout this episode. And yeah, it gets, after the third time, it gets a little tiring. Honestly, I got a little tired of it the, the second time we were watching the episode, or the second time I was watching the episode. <laughs> but but that's not what it's for, as you say. Just like sitting right, through it the right. first time, it was kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, good to see Ensign Rowe. Weird that she was not mentioned at all, but, I mean, you can't write so mm-hmm. much stuff in. Um, sure. Yeah, I would say the episode, like, as a production and as just, like, a fun thing to sit and watch holds up pretty well. I think that I if... Maybe if Riker had won the poker game with with the three aces, mm-hmm. maybe the idea that Riker wins would somehow indicate that he's the guy with the correct answer at the That's end. That's interesting. Or, yeah. Or or if the uh, if the tell hadn't been the number three, it had just been the word beard. <laughs> I'm just going to go with that. <laughs> just just go go with the guy because not Jordy this week. Yeah, uh, right. That was that was short and good. Yeah, right. Thank you for right? that, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> so so that would be the time. Oh, the guy with the beard is the one with the right answer of what to do. Well, but beard, I mean, name another beard on the ship. I guess maybe Worf or or Geordi's from last week, but mm-hmm. Worf had no idea. He didn't have anything to offer there, so I like the idea of him winning actually. That's he's got he's got the winning hand, you could say. Yeah. That, that was Brannon's preference, and I believe, I can't remember if it was Michael Piller or Rick Berman that talked him out of that. Mm. But, but to me, somehow, that it would have tied together a little more to just indicate Riker, not just, you know, not just Data looking up and seeing three pips. Right, because, right, again, right. that's something that he would see every day, and Data sees every detail all the time. Well, except he did look over and see Riker... And then hit the thing on the emitter. The last thing he saw before the Enterprise exploded was Riker's three pips. Mm-hmm. 
So mm-hmm. maybe. I don't know. It's yeah. it's yeah. that's a silly thing I guess to get caught up on because well, except I mean that was the thing that sort of took both of us out of it. So Right. Hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. As far as the messages, morals, and meanings, I, like I said, I think last segment, I sort of found myself considering the same messages, morals, and what have you uh, that we covered in Times Square, only they were done, they were done more fully, I feel like, in Times Squared. There was more to actually consider on a, on a sort of um, message or philosophical level than there is in this one. I mean, yeah, the idea of thinking about deja vu is kind of fun, except we know this actually isn't deja vu because it's determined fairly quickly that it's time travel. Yeah. The idea that, okay, well, what do we do? Well, I mean, for all intents and purposes, they are just going through life. And yeah, they've got this weird sort of familiar feeling that maybe all of this has happened before, but they have no clue how to get out of it. I mean, Picard in Times Squared was faced with himself is faced with seeing the results of what happens to him when he does the same thing over and over again. Yeah. All the Enterprise in this episode has is sort of the feeling that they've done all this before, and then, okay, we're pretty sure now that we've done it all before, but we have absolutely no idea what to do or how to change or what would be different or what the results were if we do this or if we do that. Picard, at least, is staring at himself, and he sees, okay, if I do this, then that happens. And and still, it is something that he wants to do. It's still, I mean, there's a reason he keeps doing it, because it feels like what he ought to do. But it ends disastrously. And that's right. where we come to sort of the idea that we mentioned, I think, earlier in the show. Um, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Well, they don't yeah. know if they're doing the same thing over and over again. All they know is they're living the same day over and over again. Go back to Groundhog Day. Bill Murray lived a thousand lives in that one day <laughs> because he knew he could. I mean, it's it's sort of, I mean, as much fun as this episode is, here's what I'll say. I won't fault it because there's not as much to dive into. It's a fun episode. But if you're mm-hmm. looking for if you're looking for a message, I mean, this may be the sort of um, precursor to a to a deeper treatment of that uh, for something like Times Squared. What about you? Yeah, no, I mean, the thing about Times Squared, uh, I'm kind of beating the same drum that you are, is that Times Squared is about this personal conundrum, to to, to quote another uh, title of an episode. Um, it, it's about that almost personal paralysis of not knowing what to do, not knowing what the right decision is. And it is Picard's journey through that. This this is kind of a story told on a technicality. Like, you literally have to solve the technical problem in front of you and hopefully not do the same thing over and over again that led to disaster. And they've got, theoretically, an infinite number of times that they can play this out until they get the right one. So it's less about that personal journey and much, much more about, well, how do we solve the problem? Again, all that said, it doesn't take away from my enjoyment of the episode. And just because it's light on a message doesn't mean that it's not good, fun TV and probably even just good, fun Star Trek, even if it's kind of inconsequential Star Trek. It's an exciting episode to watch. Um so I, I can see why it's in a lot of people's top 10. I don't know if it's in my top 10, but man, is it fun. Um, and yeah, as far as messages, you know, that, that is the message. It's about doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. With maybe a side of, you know, pay attention to your gut. 
Sure. Not your gut necessarily, but I mean, if your perception is that something's not right, or if your perception is that you know you've been doing the same thing over and over again, and it's literally not getting you anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, pay attention to that. I mean, it's it's different again than the Picard thing because it's literally in a space. Yeah, um, he's literally in his own grill at that point, <laughs> right. um, and has to see that he has to change. But yeah. yeah. If if, the, if those same messages are here, I would say they're more subtle, but that does not make this a bad episode by any stretch of the imagination. It is yeah. it is a tremendous amount of fun and well worth watching if you, you know, are looking for a good way, a fun way, a rip-roaring way <laughs> uh, to pass 48 minutes. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. You can find out more at Roddenberry.com, not just the home of Roddenberry Entertainment, but you can also link to the Roddenberry Foundation to find out about the philanthropic efforts that Roddenberry is making. That's all at Roddenberry.com. You can find more exciting Star Trek podcasts at Trek FM. That's Trek.FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit TrekMovie.com. Next week, The First Duty. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. I am sorry. Are we only doing one segment this week? and transmission.